It's episode 40 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Ruth Bratt. Ruth Bratt, welcome to the Improv London podcast. Thank you very much. Yay! Get that in. <laughs> How are you? Oh, yeah, good. All good. Uh, getting ready for Edinburgh and uh, all that that entails. But yeah, all, yeah. What does fun. that entail? Uh, what does that entail? Well, it entails for showstopper we do uh, a sort of a week's intensive oh, workshopping. Right. We don't call it rehearsal anymore because people get weird about calling improv stuff rehearsal. Hey, how do you, how do you rehearse improv? Well, the, my response to that, which I didn't create, was the well, you know, a football team. Yes, that's what we always say. Maybe football. I've got it from you. Yeah, constantly <laughs> talking about football team. Uh, so yeah, so we've just done our our weeks long. Uh, rehearsal workshop. Uh, What's that involved? Uh, so it's mostly well, it's basically um, every year we try and push ourselves further to do something different. Uh, we're not a group that go, hey, yeah, we've nailed it, it's fine, we thought it. Uh, we're always trying to kind of push what we're doing and the boundaries of what we do. Uh, so uh, it's mostly, you know, mostly what anyone would do. Uh, Kind of workshopping, getting good at improv, you know. Yeah. So the basics. How do you get good at improv? I'd like yeah, to do know lots that. of it. <laughs> lots, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's do lots of it, but with focused attention on you know because you can you can do lots and get into worse habits than you were already in. Ah, I think. right. So uh, it's always good to have an outside eye. Um, how else do you get good at it? I really think just doing it in front of people because the audience tell you yeah. immediately whether it's good or bad. Right. By laughing or not laughing. <laughs> uh, that's kind of your, that's it really. Or crying or not crying, you know. Uh, it doesn't always have to be funny, but uh, but the audience will tell you. You'll know. Right. You'll know. And I think the only way to get better at it is to keep doing it. You know, you can't get better at it by thinking about it uh, right. or talking about it. Oh. No, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. I, I put in a few hours of this podcast. I was hoping by the end of it, I'd suddenly be really good. Oh, maybe this will be Did the last podcast. episode then. Did it <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> I'm imagining that if someone's listening yeah. to this podcast, yes. they know about um, Showstopper. I hope so. Yeah, I like to think everyone knows what it is. Not so, when you meet people who don't know, mm. how do you explain it? Uh, well, it's an improvised musical. Uh, it is what it says it is. Uh, so, when we started doing it uh, nine years ago, what we wanted to do, uh, the, the aim of it was to create a musical. That's always been the aim. So, the fact that it's improvised is kind of by the by. The right. Yeah. Uh, so, we weren't, in, we weren't interested in... in it's really hard to say it without sounding like a twat. Uh, right, but that's very much that's very tone much of this, com- good, this podcast good. is very much. Anything you think that, that's exactly what the listeners want. Embrace uh, that. I'll embrace Go it. for it. I'll embrace my inner twat. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, because we wanted to create a musical that could stand alone as a musical and just but do it through improvisation. So the aim was always to create something that that was a perfect musical. It's an impossible aim, right? But that's why we keep doing it because it's an impossible aim um, so it's always been about the tropes of the musical rather than the tropes of improvisation right. or the tropes of an improvised musical 
which is a different thing. Uh, so what we do is try to create a West End musical live on stage, uh, but just improvised. So we're always, which is why we're always pushing ourselves, because we're always aiming to get better at singing and, and better at uh, creating good songs. Like our thing is always that like, the song should be great. Uh, that's what we're always aiming to even though it's improvised. Yes. And the other thing is, is that we've always said, because uh, of working with Ken Campbell, it should be better than scripted stuff. Because if it's not, what's the point? Because like, if you can't improve, if you can't be better than scripted, you might as well spend your time scripting something and yes. creating them that, you know, and, and making a honed, wonderful piece. So there's got to be a reason why you improvise it. And for us, that's kind of got to be better. And And... You know, better doesn't necessarily mean, but it's something to do with the liveness of it as well. That it's, I've gone totally off point of what I would normally tell someone uh, when they ask what stuff is. This isn't your usual audience. <laughs> yeah. um, so you kind of, you're trying to. No, no, I've lost track of what I'm saying. So uh, we're talking, you're talking about the liveness of it. Oh yeah. So the, the whole point of it is that it's ephemera, right? Yeah. It will never be repeated again. And, I know, and sometimes that's a shame because you create something so amazing and you go, oh my God, I'd love to see that again or I'd love to do that again. But that misses the point of it because it only works in that moment because it is of that moment and in that moment. And I think that's what I love about it is that once you've done it, it's done, it's gone. And you can remember it or you can, you know, people can talk about it. You know, we've definitely had people come up to us. There were some people, it was last year in Edinburgh, came up to me and started singing a song at me and I was like oh uh, and it was a song that we'd done like three years ago and they still sing it uh, oh that's lovely it's really lovely but it's very strange that, that you go oh right yeah and like I woke up the other morning and I was singing a song and I said to Adam and went is that, is that one of ours or is that a real song <laughs> is, that, is that what we sang and it's one we sang like seven years ago or something wow and it just popped back in like you yeah know, yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. But uh, so yeah, it's the ultimate ephemera. Uh, but it is—it's an improvised musical that we are trying to do as well as we can, mm. as if it were a real musical. That's what it is. Okay, so let, I'd like to explore the um, the musical. Um, well, the, um, so for example, if yeah. there was a new type of musical that was around. How would you... Well, how do we work out? So what we do is uh, we listen to every musical that's, that's out there. So when we started, we had, you know, like a few, because we'd always get the same ones. But as we've uh, expanded and as we've grown into the West End, uh, and then when we went and did Broadway, um, obviously your knowledge has to expand. Um, you know, and anyone who's doing pro, like all I ever say to all of my students, just know more. Like, know more about the world, about literature, about art, about science, about everything. Like, I, you know, my knowledge of science is nothing. Yeah. Uh, but I'm constantly asking, like, okay, so explain gravity to me. Or, you know, because the more I can kind of have an awareness of things that are out there, the better, right? So it's, it's the same with musicals. Um, so now I think we have a list of 300 musicals. Wow. Uh, and it is constantly growing. So yeah. last night we did uh, The West End, the last one of the lyric. And one of... Uh, slow boats. Slow boats, yes. Set in the queue for Dover. Uh, uh, and one of our... One of, uh, we call them our super fans because I think, I think they've earned that title. They come and see 
all of the shows and they now come and see us in loads of other stuff as well I mean they're incredible and they're lovely uh, and one of them said to me oh have you heard of this uh, musical Elizabeth, Elizabeth I think she said it's called and it's an Austrian musical and I said no I haven't so she sent me a YouTube uh, wow. to it so I will go and listen to that because there's, there's constantly new stuff so when we start we, when we find a new thing we listen to it a lot uh, and then we and then we work out what are the tropes of that musical what are the what are the things so for example it, it works with all musicals you know what are the things that when an audience call Mary Poppins when an audience call Les Mis what is it they are expecting to hear right uh, what is the thing that will make them go oh yeah that's what I wanted um, so it's a really long process of kind of all of us going, oh, well, you know, and obviously the musicians are going, well, of course, in this, there's always a diminished third. And, this, and, I'm, like, and I'm like, oh, well, it sounds like that, doesn't it? So, you know, like when we talk about Gershwin, what is it? I think it's a flattened seventh, correct me if I'm wrong, musicians. Uh, but it's something like that. There's like a, there's a cadence that is specific to Gershwin. But if you can nail that, then you've, you know, then, then the audience will go, oh. Uh, and so with musicals, we tend to start with looking at specific songs. And then our, our goal with all musicals is to, is to be able to improvise in the, in the world of. So uh, the more we know the musical, the easier it is for us to, to reference the world rather than specifics. Songs. Right. Yes. So, for example, we all know Sondheim incredibly well, and we all love Sondheim. So, when we do a Sondheim, uh, we're just very excited about it. But we've also, but we're also constantly working on it, and changing it. And so, this rehearsal period we just did, we're like, right, we've got into a, we've got into a bit of a rut with Sondheim. What can we do to make it different? How can we change that up? Um, so, we're always looking at uh, how to do it. But like with everything, the it's just know it. If you know, so we were talking about Hamilton the other day, and someone said, "How do you, how do you learn how to rhyme in the rhyme scheme of Hamilton? Because it's very complicated and, and dense." Um, you know, this is how obsessed we are. So Andrew Pugsley found a link to a thing. I think it's called Rap Genius, and they they go through rap lyrics and they deconstruct the the rhyme structure wow. and all of that. And they've done it with Hamilton, and it is pages and pages and pages long. And I think. <laughs> he said he spent like a day on it and hasn't even got like through it's because also Lin-Manuel Miranda has written on that one so he's explained things and there were like I mean the layers of complexity are whatever. so we were talking about like how do you learn to rhyme like that and you just have to listen to it a lot because yeah. the more you listen to it the more it's in your bones like what that rhyme structure is what that what that rhythm is what that beat is what that uh, melodic movement is because we're not we're not singing songs to extant tunes. Uh, that's Duncan's least favourite question. They're like, ooh, but the music's all, you know, pre-written right now. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. So everything is, is improvised, but it's in the world of that thing. So the more you know that world, the easier it is to create something that comes out of that world. So it's not a replication. It's a... It's a an homage uh, to it uh, yeah so that for me is how we do it yeah. but it's most so everything on my iPod is musicals I don't have anything else really no, nothing 
then my Spotify playlists are all musicals. Yeah. That's it. Nothing else. That's all I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Do you ever fancy listening to, you know? Oh, every now and then I go, oh, I just, I just put on some Bob Dylan. But then we get Bob Dylan called a lot, so you can still kind of go, oh, it's still, oh, still really? work. Bob Dylan is a... He comes up a bit, he comes up a bit. Wow. Yeah. Um, so which which are the ones that you go, yay, I'm really excited about doing those, and which are the ones where you think, ugh? Uh, none of them really make me go, ugh. Uh, there are some that are kind of tougher. Like, so if there's a musical that I'm not particularly fond of, then those become a bit like, uh, I really want to. Uh, I mean, I'm not a massive. So, for example, Cats. It's partly because it's a really tricky one to do because because the a lot of the songs are kind of pastiche. They're right. not. They're not. There's nothing in Cats that you can go. This is what Cats is like. I mean, there right. are things that you can pick on, but then you're stuck in a very you know a very narrow uh, world, and also. There always comes a point where you're on stage, like, donkeying about like a cat. And you kind of go, I'm 40, I shouldn't be um, So that, that's the one that I don't, I don't relish right, uh, okay. cats, I would say. Um, you know, and things like, like, I love West Side Story because of the challenges, but then, you know, it's hilarious. Whenever West Side Story is called, you will see everyone backstage. Just starting to do a little extra stuff because uh, we know we're going to have to be like leaping around. Um, the ones I really love, like I love it if we get some time. I love it if we get Hamilton. We all love Hamilton. Uh, we're all happy to do that uh, over and over and over again. Uh, it's very exciting. It's very, we used to love it when we got London Road, and it's very rare that we get London Road, but we just love London Road, and that's a great one to do. Um, Waitress uh, is a new New York uh, musical that's just great, uh, and we we love doing that. Uh, we also uh, something rotten, which we went to see in when we wrote there. We saw Waitress as well. Uh, we saw as many shows as we could because we were like, oh. uh, so we went to see something rotten, and then and thank God we did because then the next night they called it because there's so much more on yeah. it. Right. I mean, they're so on it. Yeah. Uh, and something rotten. If you haven't seen it, or because it's not over here yet, or if you haven't heard, get, just look at the soundtrack. It's uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> yes. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. We loved it. Like we all went in, kind of going, "Oh, what's this going to be like?" And by the end, we were all like, on our feet. We were like, "It's that's a great musical." Uh, Fun home. We'd love it if that got called, but again, it's not come over here yet. Yeah. So. People don't know it as well, um, you know. And it's always nice when someone introduces us to a new musical that we haven't necessarily uh, encountered yet. So, and we, we, we just—I mean, most of them I love doing actually. Once I'm in it, you know, there's a few that make you go before you go on. But then once you're having a, you know, and then even that, like sometimes you know, a mashup gets called, and we all kind of go, "I've come off it." But then last night because uh, Sean misheard the call from the audience and he heard rent but she yelled Greece so <laughs> he went well we'll do, we'll do a mashup of the two then and, it was, uh, and we all went oh no 
because it's just like it makes it crunches your brain and it puts you into headspace rather yeah. than into you know your intuitive space. Uh, but it actually ended up being really great. It was like a Ren chorus with the Ramalama Ding Dong. Uh, it was great. It was great. I loved it in the end. So you know everything can throw up glorious opportunities that yes. you didn't know. So happy accidents. Okay. That's what we like. Happy accidents. Yes, uh, accidents, uh, mistakes, being gifts, all that sort of exactly. stuff. Exactly. So, I'm going to pour another bit yes, of tea. Yes, please pour some more tea. I don't uh, know which was yours and which was mine, but I think we did fine. a similar first pour. So yes, that's all right. It doesn't matter. I'm more than happy. If you if you ended up with a great to share the tea, I would be uh, I would be content with that. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Well, she seemed very nice. It was very, <laughs> my you know. God, does she drink tea? tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we could probably even get some more. I know, I right? We, I mean, that's you know, that's I'm that's, a terrible tea drinker. <laughs> that's my like. Yeah, yeah. Constant. Yeah. If, it, if I could have it on a drip. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's good. What would you say is your almost roll in showstoppers. What's, it's like, oh, that, that Ruth, she's just done a signature move. <laughs> she's a, you know, she always brings the... I don't know, actually. I think when we started, it was very clear. Because when we first, when we first started doing it, there was no one else really doing it at the time, not doing a narrative long form. Um, to, in the same way, there had. It's not that we, we didn't invent this. We didn't invent pretending by any stretch. But uh, and I didn't even invent that quote. Someone else did. Um, but uh, like you know, you, you no one's invented this, right? People have been making stuff up forever. And, but there was no one doing a long form narrative show right at the time in the UK. And. To my knowledge, uh, and I'm more than happy to be, uh, you know, told I'm wrong about, about that. But we didn't have anyone to learn from, particularly. We had, you know, people who helped us a bit, but we were kind of making that up as we went along. And the 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 people who came together in that first group um, were a real mishmash of of kind of background. So they were like proper actors, and then there was me. <laughs> Who were just clowns, you know, and, um, and we'd come from, I mean, you know, acting, yes, but we'd come from the comedies route, uh, that was how we started, that was how we knew each other, that was, you know, so when we first started, and it was very interesting, actually, because in most, you know, there's always, there's always these discussions about women in improv, blah, 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 and I have always been either incredibly lucky or just, uh, I don't know. I'm in favour of women in improv. I think oh, that's a good thing. Well, why would it ever be a bad thing? You know, but, but we we were always the funny ones. That that's was always the role. So I've never, and in in Showstopper, definitely the, the the three funniest people on stage when we started were me, Pippa, and Lucy. Right. And the boys did the serious acting. Um, yeah. So we never in in that, and also in all the other groups I've had. So Scratch, uh, which Pippa and I were talking about the other day, and we were saying actually we were doing something then that we, I think we underestimated kind of what we were doing then, because we, again, we were kind of breaking ground and going, this isn't interesting, what can we do? And then we created our own thing out of that, you know, because again, we wanted to do narrative stuff, because it's before Showstopper, 
and there was no one to ask. Uh, and so we did, um, we, <laughs> we just had a friend who'd seen a narrative show and he went, this is what I remember from it. And that was how we kind of, how we pieced it together. Like, so it wasn't even you that had seen it. No. It was a friend. friend who went, this is what I think happens. Went, right, we can work this out. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, so we, we worked it all out for ourselves. So, um, so, so I've never had that, I've, I've never had that, you know, you, women aren't funny or it's just never been a thing so it's so certainly in the first in the first year I think our role was to be funny was to bring the funny right um, and then and then it's kind of it's changed so much because as the more we've done it the more rounded our skill sets have become so I would really say that that my role in Showstopper is to be everything in Showstopper depending on what is needed so there are times when it's it's no help for me to be the funny one. Yeah. Like I need to be serious and I need to be emotional. I mean, we always need to be emotionally rooted, but you know, you need to be the, the thing around which the insanity revolves. And at other times you can be the insanity and let someone else be the insanity. So it kind of, and that can change within a show as well, you know, so uh, I guess my role in Showstopper is to be utterly malleable and ready for anything, which is kind of everyone's role in Showstopper, I think. We've moved outside now because... Uh, it's very nice out here. It is very nice out here, isn't it? It's summer. It was like they wanted to make the noisiest possible <laughs> uh, environment. Do, do you think the staff at the ICA, they really hate podcasts yeah. and... They've got a real thing against podcasts. They're like podcast fascists. I imagine a lot of people do record podcasts, though. I can imagine that yeah. must be quite annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, we weren't doing any harm. Oh, no. Sitting there drinking their tea. tea. Yeah. But now we're just uh, across from Lord Kitchener's house. Yes. So there we go. Is that Lord Kitchener's yeah, house? Yeah, it's Kitchener's house. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, we're up the road from um, uh, William Gladstone's house. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we're really near the old Texas embassy. Oh. Which is the only, we were the only country to give them an embassy. Really? Yeah, when they declared, because they declared themselves a yeah. separate country. Uh, I can't remember when. And England or Britain. Yeah. Uh, recognised it so I had an embassy here but it was just to piss, piss off the French and the Spanish basically. I didn't realise that because I remember seeing that Texan embassy. Yes it's weird isn't it? Yeah <laughs> I thought it was a restaurant. Yeah no it's uh it was it was an embassy. <laughs> <laughs> just you know. Wow yeah. I've learned something new. Yeah. I've learned many things while recording this podcast yeah. but not the actual nature of the Texas embassy yeah. before. I was a tour guide for a long time. You were a tour guide? Yeah, that was one of my day jobs, tour guiding. What was that like? It was alright. It was uh, the duck tours. Uh, so we oh, the, go, one... the one that goes on the river Oh, as well. wow. So yeah, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it just got to a point where I couldn't do that and do Showstopper. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's oh, cool. One of them have got to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it was, it was mostly just like the, the, the stress on my voice, because you do five tours, you know, and it's and that, so each tour was an hour and 15, yeah. but that's not including traffic. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, so the reason I know about the Texas Embassy is we used to go past it, and then one day we broke down uh, by, <laughs> by it. So I just took them all on a bit of a, I said, so we've got a walking tour. Uh, and it was really a voyage of discovery for me as well. Uh, and we sort, of, we sort of wandered around London for a bit. And then, and then, and then I went, and I went just, okay, bye. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was my old job. Why is it? <laughs> oh, 
Oh, the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> how, do, how does one get into being a tour guide? I mean, I mean, I imagine uh, there's going to be listeners who are going to think, well, I really like what Ruth does, so I'm yeah. going to copy, copy what she's her, done. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't copy my career trajectory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't suggest it to anyone. It was because, uh, so, uh, I did it because... You really love being really on the land and being on the water as yeah. well, but you couldn't find a job that combined the two. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Why did I do it? It was really, it was really flexible. Right. It was really flexible, uh, and that was what I needed. Uh, and I had a friend who worked there. Uh, it's a good job for like jobbing actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd recommend it if you, you know, if you, you know, if you need a day job and you need flexibility. Uh, it was really good. The ducks, particularly. Uh, I, I don't know now. I think it's kind of. I think it's become a bit more profesh. Really, it's it gone was. commercial. Yeah, back I mean, in the early days, it was yeah, much in more. Yeah, in the you know. old days, uh, <laughs> I think it was a bit more relaxed. But they've had to. They've had to be less relaxed. I think. I mean, I had to do sea survival training. Wow. And, yeah, it was amazing. It was terrifying, but uh, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. What, are you actually in the sea? No, so you go, there's a, in, uh, where is it? Somewhere, it's like Gravesend or somewhere. Somewhere in Kent, uh, Kent, yeah, somewhere, like, yeah. I think it is Gravesend. Anyway, uh, there's a there's a sea survival centre, and they have this massive pool, like, a huge pool, with a 10-metre diving board. And, um, because that's, that's the highest you have to jump off to, prove you've done your sea survival wow it's really high yeah it's fucking horrible and you have to jump off it three times all right i i hated it i hated it and you're wearing a life jacket so it's not just like jumping off a that's bad enough but you have to there's all these safety things because obviously when you have a life jacket on it bounces up when you hit yeah. the water and when you're from that distance it can like break your neck and stuff <laughs> it's really great uh, <laughs> and so you do all this jumping off it and then and then they make you do like an actual emergency uh, situation, and that's when they put on the wind machine and the rain machine. Wow! And um, and so the water's like roiling around, oh. and you jump. Everyone jumps off. Someone has to be captain. Uh, I was the captain because they voted me captain because I'd uh, I'd overcome my fear like three times, and then everyone jumped off, and the captain has to stand and watch, you know, watch everyone going over. Because you have to go down with your ship. Yeah, so you have to be the last one off. And, uh, and I was up there with the instructor, and I went, it's only three times I have to jump off this to pass, right? And he went, yeah. And I went, so I've done that, haven't I? And he went, yeah. I went, I'm climbing down. <laughs> so the captain walked down. And then they have a there's, a, there's a life raft, and you then have to all get into this life raft. And it's, oh, it's, it's hot, hot, uh, once the, all the things are down. But you have to make it waterproof, obviously, so you can't have any air getting in. And it, oh, it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> but I did it. I've got the certificate somewhere. That's, so. useful. That's good to know. Yeah, if anyone's ever in trouble. Yeah, I'm, see, I'm I've hoping. I've done the sea survival. Yeah, so. I hope if we are in, yeah. in the sea, I'll, I'll be, I mean, it'll be reassuring. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I, know, I know what to do. Uh, I, mean, I wouldn't want to do it, but <laughs> I know what to do. Yeah, at, least you, at least you're qualified. Yeah, I'm qualified. Qualified in that. That's, that's useful, qualified useful to, to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how is... 
How has that helped you? Yeah, it's really helped my career. Everyone should do Sea Survival Training. <laughs> it hasn't helped my career, but I've really got a really good certificate. <laughs> but sometimes they validation in the loo, is all know. you need, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Sea Survival, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have one, <laughs> one scary toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that this would be quite straightforward, but, <laughs> but you no. appear to have reassured me about your Sea Survival skills. Yeah. You never know, there's water. <laughs> You get in trouble, I can yeah, help you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> going, going back in time. Going back in time. Go back in time. Go back in time. To before. Uh, to before you were sea survival. So, you acting. Yeah, acting. So I, uh, I started uh, just acting, serious acting. Um, didn't have any work at all. Uh, for four years, three years maybe, three years. But you were going to be a... Oh, I was going to be a human, human oh, rights, yeah, I was going to be a human, human rights, rights lawyer. lawyer. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, Would you have been a good human rights lawyer? Oh, I think I'd have been terrible. <laughs> I tell you what, actually, in all seriousness, uh, I I know someone who uh, is was a human rights lawyer and the it's such a fucking horrible job because you spend your time defending people who if you lose uh it's it's like literally life and death you know and you're listening to these horrendous stories and then you go you know you go into court and if you can't get them asylum or you can't yeah. you know i mean it's just horrific yes. and i think uh, i think the burnout rate is quite high I and i think i'd have been burnt out quite quickly because i'm a i'm a soft heart i quite poor adverts you know i'd, I'd be a mess <laughs> Uh, I don't think I'd have been very good at it. Well, uh, human rights loss yeah. is the world of entertainment's gain. <laughs> yeah, right. And maybe in some uh, ways you've done more good than the path like you've taken. So. I like to think so. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I, I was going to do that. And then I went to the States on a semester abroad. And uh, um, I was doing a... I did a show for a friend out there who was on a directing course. And he... Uh, it was a no coward thing and his tutor uh, said to me who are you? <laughs> I was like oh I'm just some farty from Nottingham University and he, was, he wanted me to do his class and I couldn't because uh, I had to do uh, African American narrative uh, it's got to come first it was history of American women and then there was another one that I forget that's how useful it was <laughs> uh, African American narrative was a brilliant class yeah, yeah. it was amazing this guy in it called Clarence and he was really like he was really built like he was just this kind of really big bloke and he was kind of brooding and terrifying uh, but he was he was amazing but there was this one day where we'd been sitting talking and uh, we'd been having like a, a seminar and you know we'd all been chatting and at the end he came over to me and my mate Hannah and he sort of came and stood next to us and we were like oh hello Clarence but it's so English and, uh, and he went I love the way you say my name. <laughs> and I walked off and we were like, oh, uh, kind of thrilling and terrified. Uh, yeah, but I loved African-American narrative. It was great. Uh, but yeah, so we did that. And, and he was saying, well, you've got to do this. You know, you are going to do this, right? And I was like, no, I'm human rights. Uh, and then I went, oh, maybe I can do this. Uh, so I finished my degree uh, and then went to in, in human rights no it was in american studies oh, right, weirdly okay. enough uh, i was going to do so i was all set for a conversion course right because uh, you can do a conversion after you've 
finished. That's why I was going to do law conversion and then did acting conversion instead. Right, fair uh, enough. <laughs> so I did, a, I did a year at a drama school and then, and then just tried to be an actor. And it's really hard to be an actor. Especially, I do think, especially for women of a certain age, of, a, of, that, of that age mm. group, sort of in their early 20s, I mean, that is the biggest pool, mm. right, is women in their 20s. So, you know, it's just hard to get work. It's just hard. And I don't think I, I don't think I was very good at getting work then. Um, if, you know, if I'm honest, I don't think I, I, don't think I tried hard enough. Uh, but I think, you know, there's reasons for that. There must be, you know. Uh, and I, I sort of was, I was doing stuff, I was doing murder mysteries and things. <laughs> what was that like? Murder Mysteries, yes. uh, they were really good fun. And actually, because uh, I always say oh, I didn't do impro until later, but a lot of the Murder Mystery was improvised because we were being interrogated by <laughs> members of the public. Yes. And then, so you'd have to talk to them, which is all impro is, right? Did you ever do it at Baker Street? No, uh, we used to do it at like, uh, we'd do it in hotels. We used to do a lot in Ram. Oh, right. uh, yeah. uh, My brother's uh, stag do was a uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, murder mystery. Oh wow! And I was there were two tables of us, and I was on the table that was really trying to take it seriously and just like try and solve the mystery. Yeah. Whereas the other table uh, was just getting really, really drunk. Yeah. And uh, I remember being quite annoyed that they got much closer to, to the, solving the murder than we yeah. did. I did. I did one once uh, for my sister-in-law's Hendu. She she put one in. I was like, oh, you're fucking joking. <laughs> you know, and you're like, this is my job. <laughs> well, you were uh, still doing the. So I was still doing oh, them then. Dear. But we went to it. It was a rival company. Oh no. Uh, and oh. I just got smashed because I was. Just like, <laughs> uh, I was probably the. I was the kind of audience member I'd have hated. Uh, I was that audience member. I was a dick. Uh, but yeah, I I really loved it, and it did. It did. It was a really useful tool, actually. Yes. It's given me a lot of very good skills, life skills, and and acting skills. What what life skills have you gained from it? Uh, patience. <laughs> uh, in the face of extreme provocation. <laughs> uh, but I think just you know the kind of how fast you have to be mm. in that because they're not you know they're not going to listen to anything that isn't quick and. <laughs> you know, and we used to, I mean, we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, what was your favourite scenario? Well, they were all quite good. I really loved, uh, I really loved, uh, we used to do a Cluedo one. <laughs> right. I really loved. Uh, and then we also did, and sometimes, I mean, there were some of those that made, like, literally weeping with laughter while <laughs> we were doing it. Like, so unprofessional, <laughs> awful, awful behaviour. Um, we did one called Faber which I loved. Presumably it was just ABBA. ABBA. It was an ABBA death musical. ABBA uh, death? Death murder mystery. Murder mystery. Yeah, it was great. So how did that work? I can't really remember. <laughs> I just remember it was always a right giggle. Except that we did it one day and we were doing it at this sort of Chelmsford, I think. And someone came up to us. I and, mean, you know, it was the, pre, the pre-show the pre music. And obviously it was all ABBA. Yeah. And it had been sold as the ABBA murder mystery. You know, it, was not, it wasn't like they hadn't been told. And, the, and money, money, money had just come on, and uh, this woman came up to uh, Lawrence, who ran the company, and she went, um, "Sorry, can you turn this off? Because we just buried Mum yesterday, and this was her favourite song." And we went, 
why have you come to an ABBA murder mystery when your mother has just died? And this it's was what a, she would have wanted. It's what she would have wanted. <laughs> we were all just sort of like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, some like there were great stories from that, and we've often like a few of us have talked about like, wouldn't it be great to do a sitcom about it? But, but I don't think anyone would believe it. You know, like the guy who had the guy who had a heart attack while we were doing it. <laughs> yeah, and then everyone else going, no, carry on, carry on. And we're like, no, there's a man. And they're like, no, that's fine, it's fine. Like, just craziness, craziness. I mean, yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I have fond memories of those. Uh, they were a really supportive bunch of people as well. Like, I still see a lot of them. And, you know, uh, my, my boss from then uh, always comes and sees stuff we do. And, oh, cool. Yeah. And actually, it was meeting. Uh, so a guy who I worked with on that also did the duck tours, which is how I got into uh... duck tours. Uh, so, yeah, so I... Uh, I did murder mysteries, and a friend of mine who was doing those kept going on at me to do a, a comedy course that she'd done. Was this stand-up there? Uh, yes, it's a Muse Moose. So it's a guy called Logan Murray. Oh yeah, who yeah, is yeah. He's a brilliant. Yeah. He's a brilliant guy, and uh, she was going on at me, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, I said so before, like all these. Uh, Many of these stories, pretty much everyone I've spoken to has these stories. Uh, they split up with someone and then they start doing what they actually want to do. Uh, so I split up with a guy and kind of decided I was going to have revenge success. Right. So I started working really hard. And, uh, and I, got a, I got a part in a play that went up to Edinburgh. It was a play in a lift. Hang on a second, let's, before we do the lift, because oh, that yeah. sounds good. So you you did stand up before the playing the no list. so I hadn't I hadn't started it then oh, right, this, okay. this was when uh, this was my turning point basically oh, right, so okay. I did uh, did this playing a lift it was uh, which can't have fitted many people in no, the lift about fifteen altogether oh, that's, that's a big lift so it was a big lift yeah yeah, yeah. but it was you know it was a bigish lift it I mean, was a pretty big, big lift actually I, think, yeah. I mean I don't know if I have you know quite small expectations when it comes to lifts but that that seems quite big. Yeah, I mean, it didn't feel bad. <laughs> well, not once you've got 15 people in it, so no. it's not. Uh, but yeah, so I think I think it could hold 15. And what would you perform in the lift? So we did, the, the first show I did in there was a show called The Service Elevator. It's a really brilliant play. Uh, and it was about, it's about a brother and a sister who are, they, they haven't seen each other for years and they meet in this elevator and it turns out they're both there to assassinate uh, the president. Oh, right. Uh, it's a really great show. Uh, I loved it. And uh, we did that, I guess we did that lift for a couple of years. So presumably the lift didn't go up and down? No, the lift was like a static lift. Oh, right, okay. uh, And it was, so the first time it was at the Brighton Fringe, that so was just on the beach in Brighton. Oh, right. And then it was, we took it up to Edinburgh and it just stood in the Pleasance Courtyard. Oh, right, um, okay. I was yeah. a bit worried that it was... Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> you have to incorporate mm. people going to their hotel yeah. rooms oh, into no, the action. Be, well, we did do something like that at the Soho for a while. Uh, we did some sort of guerrilla theatre. <laughs> no, I'm not good at that stuff. Uh, they're, they're like people. Uh, so, yeah, so I did that. And then, because my mate had been saying, well, you have to come and do this course. And she was up in Edinburgh. And then I just met loads of comedians up there. And you know that whole world kind of enveloped me and so then i did the course what was your stand-up style like it was very deadpan yeah yeah it was really deadpan and silly i hate the word surreal 
uh, a lot of people called that. It wasn't surreal. It was just, it was what I thought was funny, which I, it was silly, silly, really silly, but deadpan silly. All right. Um, uh, yeah, I really liked it. I never quite found my stand-up voice. I don't think I stopped doing it uh, before I really got good at it, and that was just because I went. I'm never gonna. I had friends who were doing it. Um, who were working incredibly hard at it because that was what they wanted to do. But for me, stand-up wasn't the end right. goal. It was, a, you know, it was part of my path to something else. Well, I didn't know that at the time, <laughs> but that's kind of what it was. So I, I, I realised I was never going to work as hard at it as I would have to in order to be as good at it as I would want to be. Yes. Uh, so I just went, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stop doing this now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have friends who are still like, do it again, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, yeah. I don't know, every now and then I have a bit of a, maybe I'll do it again, and then I go, no, I won't. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because I still have a lot of mates who are stand-ups just from that time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's amazing watching that, like watching how, like watching people evolve, you know, people who started at the same time I did and are now, you know, have a proper career at it and yeah. are incredibly good at it. And it's, you know, you put in the hours, you, <laughs> there's no secret to any of this. But in the hours, you put in the time, you get good at something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that, so, and then I was up in Edinburgh uh, doing stand-up and comedy and a mate said, uh, my mate Gareth said, do you want to come and do my impro show? And I went, yeah, go on then. <laughs> and it was like a... It was really like sort of coming home, really. I got on stage, I started doing it, and I went, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the thing. What was the show? It was, uh, this is soap. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. I don't think it was called This is Soap then, but that's what it was. Right. It was that show that I think is still going in Edinburgh. Uh, so it's an improvised soap opera. And uh, What and was it about that that felt so... I don't know. It was just, uh, it was as I was doing it, I was like, this is my comfort zone this is it this is what I've wanted to do this is without knowing that this was what I wanted to do it was just a kind of oh right this is this is where I feel comfortable it's thrilling it's interesting it's exciting it's you know the possibilities of it thrilled me I think even then and I didn't you know I didn't know anything about it and I had it wasn't even like you know, because when I started, so this is like 2003, and in, in London in 2003, I think in the UK in 2003, there was not a lot of impro. Mm. There was some, mm. um, you know, and this is not to denigrate all the people who have been doing it for years, and, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't where it is now. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a thing, you know, it wasn't a scene. Yeah. It wasn't a community. It yeah. was, you know, there were some people who did it. Uh, and who did it well and uh you know but it it wasn't what it is now i don't think and if it was i didn't know where that was yes uh but it de it definitely didn't have that you know it was it was starting it was that growing rumbling thing then i think that you know and, and as more people found it obviously it then grows and you know and i mean just the the amount of classes there are now yes. compared to then yes. i mean there were there were hardly any then and now there's like yeah. you know tons <laughs> uh you know so yeah yeah but i don't know what it was i don't know what it was it was just like a when you know you know when you know you know <laughs> Brilliant. 
So after you did that, how did you continue doing improv? So Gareth uh, knew a guy called Lloyd, uh, and Lloyd used to run a, uh, a thing called Improvity. Um, and did Improvity? I've not heard of Improvity. So Improvity, they, they, I mean, they were one of the few teams that were around then. I mean, there just weren't many about. Uh, so Lloyd, uh, Lloyd ran Improvity, and it was just a short form kickabout in. Um, uh, a pub that isn't there anymore. That's how long ago it was. Uh, <laughs> it was on the corner of Lyle Street, you know, um, in Chinatown. Yeah. Called the Polar Bear, I think. Oh. Uh, and we used to do it in the basement there. And so we were doing that. And then Gareth and I were like, this is great. But, but we felt that there was more to be explored. And we met a guy called John Moore. Uh, Big John Moore. Um, who also wanted to try new stuff and so we started our own company called Scratch which then a, a year later Pippa Evans joined who uh, we met up in Edinburgh so we were doing uh, we were doing a, a show in Edinburgh and she came and saw it and then uh, and then the next year she was with us up there so what was the format of Scratch? so Scratch it, st- it started out as a thing called the Soap Kitchen where we kind of was that part of Scratch or was that something different? Just the same group of people. Right. And we did a kind of soap thing. Right. Uh, but n- not... We were kind of feeling it out, trying to work out what that was. Um, and then Scratch did a thing that we came up with, which is the Reduced Edinburgh Fringe Impro Show. And that ran for about six years, I think. And um, we basically would get the audience... They would be given the brochure and then they would circle a show in the brochure and stick it in a bucket and we'd pick all the suggestions out of that oh, bucket. Wow. But the only information we had was the oh, 50 words. I really like that. That's uh, really it interesting. It was a brilliant show. It yeah. was really brilliant. And I think by the time, by the last year, we'd really nailed it. Yeah. Like what we wanted to do <laughs> with it. And, you know, uh, and we had really great people in it. Like So uh, Rob Broderick, you know, who does a band of man, um, he was with us that year, that the last, the last year, I think so. And we used to do a thing called Royal 8 Mile where uh, <laughs> we do a thing based around, so he'd kind of do the rap and then I'd do the Dido bit. Uh, and uh, we, had a, we had a ball doing that. <laughs> He's such a great bloke, I love Rob. Uh, so, you know, so we had a real, uh, we loved that show, it was a great show. And we still talk about like, oh, we should do a, a reunion gig, which we'd all love to do, it's just timing. Now, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The boys have all had babies. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and Pippa are busy. <laughs> but yeah, I think we will. I think we will do it at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah, Scratch was great. Uh, and then, so then it was through, I think it was through Improvity that I met Dylan. Um, and I don't really know Dylan that well. Um, but he called me, and, and Pippa had been working with Dylan, and they'd been doing some stuff with Ken Campbell. And they've been, like, again, pestering me to do it. And I kept going, oh, I'm really busy. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> Dylan had asked me to come and do some stuff w- with a group that, you know, were thinking about doing a musical and did I want to do it? And I was like, yeah, I am. And then he called me. I was in New York. Oh, darling. I was uh, <laughs> I'd gone on holiday. And he called me and said, and I picked up the phone stupidly. And then that. I was just really aware of how much it was costing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when he was going, please, can you come and do this workshop? And I was like, oh, yeah, all right, I'll do it. 
<laughs> I was literally to get him off the phone because it was, was costing me money. Uh, uh, yeah, and then and that was showstop. Wow. So that was yeah, and again it was a bit like I went into that room and the only person I knew in there really was Pippa and Dylan a bit, uh, and I was a bit like oh, and again it was like oh right oh I see this is a thing this is you know, and again it was still everyone was still feeling their way because same way as scratch there was no one there really to tell us how to do the thing we wanted to do it was all like you have to make it, work it out you know which is why now when people join showstopper it's really hard because you know when we when we started we were working it out and so our learning curve was you know very organic whereas now it's like you this is this is how it is yeah do this <laughs> so it's a harder i think or it's different it's a different process now i think and also, you know, when we started, I've, I've seen that first musical we did. Yeah. You know, it was great, but comparatively, yes. uh, you know, if we did that now, we'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> you know. But that's um, good because, you know, yeah, you want to feel like you're progressing, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah. So that's the history of me. Wow, hooray. In a, in a very long nutshell. That's a very good nutshell. I enjoyed thanks, that nutshell thanks. very much. <laughs> that was a good nutshell. It was a big nutshell. <laughs> I'm a verbose woman. No, no, that's exactly what we want. It's really awkward when it's just me just and the, the other person not really saying anything. I'm just going, oh, oh. So. <laughs> Segwaying neatly. <laughs> Segwaying neatly. Um, tell me about the Empowerthons that you've been involved with, because frankly, I find the idea terrifying. Yeah, it, it sort of is, really. So the... The Improvathon started with, so again, it's all down, a lot of it's down to Ken Campbell. Um, so he had heard about this group in Edmonton in Canada who, they do a weekly soap. And then as a fundraiser about 20 years ago, they uh, they did a long, what they call a soapathon. Right. And it was 53 hours long because that was the longest they could get a theatre for. Oh, God. Uh, in, one, in one stretch. And... See, the thing with Ken was he would never give you the full, like, the full information. <laughs> so we just assumed that, that you had to do all of it. Yes. That's not the case. It was, it was uh, very rare that anyone did all of it. And I think, uh, I think Mark Mir and Mark Mir was the first person with Patty Styles. I think, who did the first 53. Again, I could be wrong. But I think that's, I think that's who did it first. And they went through the whole 53 and... And so Ken got really excited about it and sent Sean McCann over to Edmonton. So went, go, go and do it. <laughs> uh, so Sean went and did it and was like, oh, okay. And then we got uh, we got some of uh, Dynasty to come over. To, uh, so Adam Megiddo uh, got them all to come over. Um, so he runs the London one. Um, and they kind of taught them how to do it. Uh, so I did the second one, I think, because I didn't know any of those guys who did the first one. And it's basically just uh, 50 hours, uh, one long story, uh, but directed, called. Right, yes. Um, so Adam directs it here, um, mostly Adam. This is a, a, a woman called Rosie Wilkinson who comes down from Liverpool. She also directs, because uh, she directs the Liverpool one, uh, and she's obviously gone up to Edmonton a lot as well. She's brilliant Rosie um, and it's very interesting because everyone calls it differently uh, and it's really uh, it's interesting like oh you know what style of yeah. direction you get depending on who's calling it 
Um, so I the, think... What are the different styles? It depends. So Adams is very much uh, open story. He's more interested in the story. Uh, other other people are more interested in the games. Right. Uh, and uh, Rosie's very into the story as well. And she's, she's a much gentler uh, voice. Adam uh, can be quite a forceful voice but always a, a, a very um sensitive voice yes. i find i mean i might be biased uh, but uh yeah so it's very every, they all call it differently um and i think adam adam and dana hold the so they did i think 57 hours oh. in toronto they co-directed but they did the whole thing together um god knows how you do that. i mean 50 50 is kind of full-on yeah um so I've done it all the way through a few times now, and but it's interesting because now I don't have the need to do it. So the first time I was like, I have to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then once you've done it a few times, you're like, ah, I've proved my point. <laughs> I mean, it does change your relationship with sleep massively. Yeah. So now if I have 24 hours where I can't sleep for whatever reason, you know, so I did an advert recently and it was in Bangkok. Uh, and because I had to fly back because we had a showstopper on the Monday and we were filming on the Sunday. So I had to fly back as soon as we'd finished shooting so that I could be home in time for the show on the Monday oh. night. Uh, so it meant that my day uh, my day in Bangkok was uh, 24 hours long. So I literally, I got up at five, um, shot the thing, then went to the airport, waited for my flight, which is 1 a.m., and then had to, just to reset my body clock, so I was back in UK time, went to sleep at five, which would be like 11 p.m. UK time. So I'd had like, 24 hours awake but now that's like eh, it's all right. it's all right. you know uh, it doesn't it doesn't hold the same horror to me right, as it yes. once perhaps would have done yeah. um, I mean it definitely and every experience is different every improvathon is different so some are easy some are hard uh, like the one we just did was really satisfying and beautiful and was that uh, the Agatha Christie yeah, yeah, I was on the train, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I was Miss Marple. Brilliant. Uh, it was a murder on the Orient on Express, yeah, yeah. basically. Uh, didn't have, it wasn't a murder, it was just on the Orient Express, yeah. but we were basically, yeah, doing, you know. So I was Miss Marple, Justin was, uh, Justin Brett was Hercule Poirot. <laughs> uh, they had a, a lovely relationship. It's very weird in the Improvathon, you end up having these, uh, you, you live a life, because you're, yeah. you know, you, and you live it, and you really, you know, you we talk about soap crushes where you you know you have a relationship with someone and you kind of you know you you live a life with them and you yeah. become very attached to them and um you know so one year i was playing carrie fisher and mark Mir played this character called geek boy and carrie fisher and geek boy had this beautiful tragic sad lovely relationship um and there is a part of me that is still a little bit in love with Geek Boy. Not with Mark, <laughs> but with Geek Boy. Uh, you know, and it's, you know, that, like there's a part of me that still believes I am Queen Victoria because I was her for 50 hours. And I really, <laughs> I really do believe I am her. You know, and you have these, these very intense relationships and, and because your all your censorship is down, you kind of are much more uh, alive to them. And, right, yeah, um, yeah. Your censorship is down through lack of sleep. Yeah, you, yeah. you have no control by <laughs> by thirty six hours. You can't hold back. Yeah. Um, so, so you do see some 
amazingly emotionally connected stuff and you know and, and so this year with the the Poirot um, marple thing there was a scene that uh, Adam had called um, where he said you know uh, Miss Marple is kicking off about the fact that Poirot uh, in a foul mouth rant she's kicking off about the fact that he doesn't <laughs> love her uh, unaware that he's in the adjoining carriage and can hear every single word she's saying you know and I, I just was you know, doing this wild thing with Justin listening in, and you know, and I was on the phone ordering a bed of swans and all that, just just weird <laughs> stuff because it was all like a rant about, and you know, and it, 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 and then eventually he came in, and I was like, I can't believe you've listened to all that, and we were, it was hilarious, 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 and then, uh, and then so Miss Marple just kind of collapsed and was like, Why are you like this to me? This is cruel. It's unkind. It's, and then, uh, and then uh, Poirot just crumpled and was like I'm terrified and all of a sudden it was this tiny Aww. connected scene wow. that was out of you know yeah. this maelstrom that then and that's what you get in the improvathon that I think you you can get in other stuff and we do try and do in Showstopper you know that kind of really uh, emotionally truthful connected stuff again sounding like a bit of a dick a bit of a twat yeah, this is what people, uh, people listen to the podcast. Uh, uh, so I think getting that emotional truth is is what's exciting for me, and why why the improvathon is, you know, you can hit. I mean, again, like this year, I there was that one scene, and it's so hard to describe, and I have never laughed that hard. <laughs> I think it's the funniest thing that has ever been on a stage <laughs> ever in the history of theatre. I mean, it was. It was hilarious, and it was just uh, a guy called Donovan Workin, who's one of the Edmontonians, uh, who's like a, he's like a ball of comedy genius, and he it was him and Dylan and a guy called Tristan uh, who were all camping together, and they made this tent for them, and then it was just physical comedy of, yeah. of them all lying on top of each other. <laughs> it was basically just Donovan pushing it like this comedy gold it was I mean you rarely see that kind of thing and then when you do you're just like this is amazing so I think uh, that's that for me is like what's great about it like it can give you the the highs total highs emotional highs and emotional lows all in one you know and it's it's a very weird thing what it does to you personally you know that you kind of go through paranoia and what we call the gates of hell you know and they get two of them on a 50 because uh, they're a real dark dark patches where you're so tired yeah. you know? um, I mean we'd love to have someone come and like actually like a scientist <laughs> come and go what does this do to you uh, we've had a guy who, who does stuff about sleep deprivation come and see it and, really yeah and it would be it would just be really interesting I mean you know yeah yeah, it's a fascinating thing. You could talk about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless we, unless we do it for 52 hours yeah. now, I feel that we'll have, we'll have bailed on the listeners. Um, so you also, uh, Panther Cannon. Panther Cannon. Tell me about yes. Panther Cannon. The Panther Cannons, it was, it was a sort of, it was a muckabout really with me, Andrew Pugsley, David Reed, and David Armand for a while, but he's now, uh, I believe he has actually become a lawyer. Right. Uh, <laughs> he's gone the other way. Um, so and, balance karmically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so we just, uh, yeah, we just sort of wanted to try something. There's no format particularly. Uh, I've noticed that about, um, 
a lot of info at the moment, you know, there's kind of format, like what's the format, what's the format? And all of the things that I do, uh, I mean, Showstopper has a format, but it's a format of its own, it's not, you know, um, but everything else I do, I'm like, I, there's no form, it's just people improvising. Yeah. That's it, we're improvising. So often when people are so with Panther Cannon, they're like, what are you going to do? We're like, I don't know. And for a while, so when we started, we got people to write uh, write the suggestions on ping pong balls and throw them at us. Oh, right. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like uh, impromptu Shakespeare do that at the moment. Oh, right, yeah. I didn't know about the ping pong thing. This is more yeah. of a thing than I realised. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've stopped doing it now because we don't, don't need to anymore. I think we get, we, we kind of... Partly because we ran out of ping pong balls. <laughs> and it was impossible to get any more. Yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're we're just didn't, we didn't do it one day and then... <laughs> it seemed to be fine. And then we went, ah, maybe we won't do it. Yeah, so you so, wrote suggestions on the ping pong balls? No, they wrote. Oh, uh, people wrote, oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, so I think, in, from what I gather, in Pompey Shakespeare, they have, they've written suggestions yes, on and then they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we used to give audience members ping pong balls when they came in. Ping pong balls are hard things to write on. Oh, no, not really. They're really? hard to get the writing off. <laughs> I went, we must be able to save, this is a real waste of ping pong balls. And so I bought, um, I bought some graffiti remover, because uh, I went, I'm going to save all these ping pong balls, I'm going to do this. And the boys were like, yeah, Ruth, right. And, uh, and then I sent them a picture of my attempt, and basically all, all it did was it stripped off the outer layer of the ping pong ball, but just left the words. So it was like the, it was the least effective recycling attempt ever, and I nearly killed myself with a few from this graffiti remover, and they all just laughed at me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we did it. Uh, yeah. So because I mean, we, so when did we start Panther Cannon? I can't remember. Like five, five years ago. Uh, I don't know. Did we just commit? Well, yeah, five years. Ago. Five years ago. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we did we did that, and then. Uh, but uh, yeah, we sort of ran out of ping pong balls one day, and, <laughs> and we were doing we did one that was a shorter set, and then we didn't use the ping pong balls, and then we went, oh well, let's not use them anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> we've done that. Uh, so. Somewhere the ping pong manufacturers are going well. Thank God, we've still got impromptu Shakespeare <laughs> yeah, to keep yeah. us in business, otherwise <laughs> the children can't go to school this year. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we uh, yeah. So that's Pants Cannon. Uh, I do Ghost Couple with Dylan. Which wow, is, tell me uh, about Ghost Couple. It's just, again, there's no format. It's just <laughs> me and Dylan donkeying about on a stage. Uh, it's kind of, we kind of, we, we heard, so I found the phrase Ghost Couple. But it's a bit like Panther Cannon. We were sitting there going, what's a good name for a show? And uh, Boom Sorry, Bang Sorry was one that I really liked. But we didn't go with that. We went Panther Cannon, which was the name that uh, Andrew had seen on a, you know, you know, on um, train reservations in the seat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd gone and looked along and there was a Mr. and Mrs. Panther Cannon. <laughs> which he thought was, so that was why we're called Panther Cannon. I thought uh, it was your love of kind of military history and Yeah, jungle. well, I mean, there is that. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was some way of combining those two loves together. Yeah. Uh, so that was where that one came. And then Ghost Couple, that was something that, caught my eye and we were called DNR to start with just because someone we, we, we did a gig and it was literally just someone said can you two do something and we went yeah and they said what are you called and we went uh DNR it's like D and R and then it was DNR and then we were like uh, alright that's what we're called uh yeah I think it was I think it was uh, Hoopla that we came up with that uh, but then Ghost Couple arrived so we Ghost Couple's so a we, better name yeah yeah we like Ghost Couple 
so we kind of are just working out what it is by doing it and seeing what happens. Uh, and then the other group I do uh, <laughs> is, uh, is the Glenda J Collective, ah. which is me, Pepper Evans, Carrie Lloyd and Josie Lawrence. Wow. Which is uh, brilliant. How did that come about? How did that come about? Uh, we so all of us have all of us guessed with the comedy store players now, uh, which is an utter delight and joy. Uh, I, I bloody love it. It's really <laughs> good fun. It's so it's just fun. They're really fun people. Um, and we'd kind of so I'd done. How did that come about? Oh, I was up in Edinburgh a couple of years ago, and uh, they asked me to do the. What does the title matter anyway? Which was the whose line is it anyway? But uh, I didn't call it whose line is it anyway. Cause, right. Uh, <laughs> what well, does the title matter? Yeah. Uh, and they said, would I guest in it? And I went, yeah, okay. And I kind of knew Josie anyway a little bit, just you know. And then it was a bit like this is what I imagine it was like anyway. It, like a 60s band where the drummers died of an overdose and they have a new drummer <laughs> and the audience are all like yes I'll bet. oh who's that uh, that was kind of what oh. it felt like in a, in a beautiful way but like, you know like of course the, the, you know it's Josie it was Josie Greg Proops Steve Frost and then Clive Anderson so of course no one knows the fuck I am and that's totally fine but it was in the McEwen Halls. So it's massive, you know, and it was a bit like. <laughs> um, uh, but so that was when I did my first gig with Josie, actually on stage with her, um, and she's so lovely. I absolutely adore her. And you know, there is a, a crazy thing of going. Here is the person, and I, I get it a lot when I'm at the comedy store. And you know, because we knew Mike McShane as well, because he we met him years ago, and he came and did stuff with Showstopper, and you know, these are people that you kind of that made you think you could do this, right? Yes. You know, doing Who's Line, and you kind of watch that on a Friday night and go, oh, imagine that being a job, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's really exciting uh, to work with them, and they're all lovely, and I am utterly thrilled and delighted that I get to play with them. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, so Josie... So for years, Josie's kind of been the only... Because she's the only woman in, you know, yeah. not the guests. There are other guests, but so for years she's kind of been the only woman. And I think she was like, "Let's do something." And yeah. We were all like, "Yeah, let's." <laughs> so you know, in the classic improv kind of style, style. Yes. and uh, and so we came up with this thing, and we're still, again, we're still working out exactly what it is. But it's it's one of the most joyous things uh, to do. It's just uh, it's great, and it the fact that you know the fact that it's for women. Uh, it's not. It's not like that. We don't advertise it as that. It's not like we're going. Yeah, it's women prov, or it's you know whatever chick prov, or whatever you want to call it. It's just. It just so happens that we are all women, and and it's a. It's a really delightful experience, and it's like it's, it's like being let loose. <laughs> it's really like being let loose, and and what I love most about most about it, I think actually, is. Like when you're standing on the side and you're watching the others doing it, and it's just, you know, you're like, this is the best ever. Um, so, yeah, I really, I really love it. And I mean, it's just, it's been incredible actually, how, how, because of how much improv's grown and, and, you know, that you do get to meet these people who are, you know, sort of the first. Yeah. That over here, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's very exciting. I love it.
love it. I'm very, uh, very lucky. Very lucky. Worked hard to be lucky, but very lucky. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so final question. Yeah. Um, yes. So the big question. Yeah, advice. If people want to be more, if people want to be more like you. Oh, don't, don't. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Uh, or to emulate your success or... What to do? I think, so the, the advice I always give, like, is your success is your success, right? And it's your idea of success. So if you feel successful, you are successful. You know, there's no, like, there's no thing like if you get this job you will be a success so my grandmother until the day she died pretty much that when are you going to be on Emmerdale never probably never <laughs> and that's not my idea of what success is you know uh, I make a living out of performing you know I still I still do loads of other stuff other than, than showstopper and other than improv and you know uh, so but that's how I make my my living is out of performance and that to me is success you know and then you have the the added things of you know like the olivier clunk drop that name <laughs> uh but you you have that and you go this is this is incredible yep. but does it change anything ultimately it doesn't change what we are trying to achieve and it doesn't change how we work no. and it doesn't change what we work on so Do people take you more seriously yeah though? you can have an outside right. viewpoint of it but you, your own personal viewpoint you, you can't be motivated by awards and, you know, adulation. That's, it's empty. It's beautiful. It's lovely. I'm very proud that we won it. <laughs> but it, do, it cannot be your driving force, you know. Um, so I think, you're, for me, you, your driving force always has to be wanting to improve and wanting to be better and never sitting back on your laurels and going, I've done it now. Uh, there is always more to learn from people who are more experienced than you and people who are less experienced than you. Um, you can learn from everyone and you should always be learning and you should never t like shut yourself off from stuff. As soon as someone says they're like a, an expert, uh, that, that makes me yeah. kind of go, what? Oh. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think you can be. You can never be an expert at this and you know I, I take that from people who I think are incredible so you know the Canadian improvisers that we know from Edmonton some of whom I think are I would say the best in the world I mean they're they're incredible uh, and they never think they've nailed it they never think they've finished then you know and so for me it's it's got to be about what, what do you want? And if you want to just keep getting better and keep improving and keep learning and keep pushing yourself so you're constantly teetering on the edge of your ability, you should always be pushing further than your ability is. Because otherwise, how are you ever gonna, how are you ever gonna improve? You have to be taking yourself out of your comfort zone at all times. Um, however that is, you know, uh, you know, so for me going to, going to classes where I don't know anyone or teaching a class where I don't know anyone that's a that's a comfort pusher you know because you're like oh well so you know or going to different countries or you know learning a new skill or also we have friends uh, um, in Italy called Ibu Giardini and they do uh, a silent movie an improvised silent movie which is great because they can take it all over the world ah, nice. silent. Uh, and they are 
amazing and I love them and they asked us if we wanted to go last Edinburgh did we want to go and and play with them and do their show and we were like yes of course but also one you don't want to screw up their show yeah. with this amazing thing they've created yeah. and two you're doing something that is outside your experience um, so it was and it was amazing doing it with them because they were like guys you you do just so fast because we go at a pace because yeah. of the way Showstopper has made us go, whereas they go at a much more leisurely pace. So, you know, we were like, oh, right, we need to learn how to just yeah. slow down. Because with Showstopper, we have a 70-minute show. But because we have songs, we've only got like 15, 20 minutes to tell a story. Yeah. It's very short, yeah. really. So we're at a, you know, an, ex an extended pace. But they, they had more breathing room and they were much more gentle. But then equally, us doing it with them, like we... We did a thing that they went, we would never think of doing that. And we were like, oh, okay. You know, but we did it because we didn't know that yeah. we shouldn't or couldn't or, you know, it just seemed to make sense. Uh, so, you know, you're, you can constantly be pushing yourself and learning from other people. And, um, and I think teaching can, can teach you. Like sometimes you find yourself saying something and you go, oh, yeah, that's what it is, you yeah. know. Um, so I, I think... Never give up. Uh, if you are going to never say it's giving up, refocus. You can call it that. Uh, refocusing your life. Because uh, I, I think, you know, there's things you say that, you know, if you say giving up, it's like you've given up. You know, whereas actually if you just say, I'm just changing focus. I'm just, you know, focusing on different things now. That, that's a much more positive way of dealing with it. Um, know what your, what your idea of success is. Know what your goal is. Even if you know that your goal is that you don't have a goal, know that, you know. Um, be honest with yourself about whether this is working, whether this is what you want anymore, you know, all those things. And I think, you know, especially for, like, actors, the longer you stick at it, you know, the more work there is because everyone else has given up. Right. Or refocusing. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's definitely, you know, and you're only... We sometimes joke with Showstopper that, you know, oh, if only we'd done this 10 years ago. So, like, you know, when we were doing this physical workshop the other day, and <laughs> it was amazing. And it was, you know, it's literally like throwing ourselves at each other. So, like running, taking off and, and landing in a, in a hug. Wow. So you've got both feet off the floor and you just... And it was phenomenal. But the next day, like, <laughs> oh, my life, it was, I was so sore. I mean, to, like, not being able to walk sore. Oh, no. And, uh, like, kind of hobbling, like, uh, old lady. But, you know, so we often go, oh, if we'd done this 10 years ago. But if we'd started Showstopper 10 years before we did, none of us would have been ready for it. Yeah. I was not ready at, at 22 to do what I, what I did when I was 32, you know. And so now we've been going for eight years nine years you know and so physically it's harder but mentally we're so much more ready for it and more focused and and all those things so i think the more the, the longer you go the more you will learn the more comfortable you are in your own skin the more you know and it's just it's an ever-evolving career it's an ever-evolving industry uh there's so there's no you know it's not like i can go this is the path to follow to do this because there are as many paths as there are people um, and I think it's just about determination bloody mindedness uh, 
and just you know and it it it's constantly changes you know I look at what I'm like now and the things I will and won't accept and that is you know now I'm much more like nah uh uh-uh, uh not happening yeah. uh, whereas you know when I was 20 I was like okay whatever yeah do whatever <laughs> uh, you know whereas now I'm like no been there done that not happening again um, so I think it's, it's because you are always learning and you should be learning and if you're not then you need to look at that and start learning again uh, you know you're never finished so your career can't ever be finished because you are not, you know I'm not a finished product I know that in 10 years time I'll probably listen to this if it's still around and go oh God, what are you talking about? You know, um, but that's a good sign because that yeah, means you're... Yeah, that's a the, really good sign. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, yeah, so I don't know. I, the, the only advice I can give is just keep working at it. You know, and they say it takes 10,000 hours to yeah. be an expert, and I, yeah. it's not a lie. Yeah. Like, you know, and I, don't think, and I think with this, you can never even get to that. 10,000 hours isn't even scratching the surface <laughs> of what you can do. You know, and... And also knowing that it's not a it's not a steady climb. It's like, you know, you, you get better, you plateau. You get better, you plateau. You get better, you know. And I, I think you should probably you should probably think about refocusing <laughs> uh, once a year. I probably have, right. you know, once a year I probably go through my this just isn't working. I should probably stop. <laughs> uh, you know, and you're kind of going. And and I think it's also good to know that even so people that you think are sorted and are you know and are doing well and are totally on top of it are probably just as insecure as you are (laughs) and that never goes away and it shouldn't go away you know you should never just be going yeah i'm totally fine and i'm you know um (laughs) we're constantly kind of re-evaluating and oh god maybe i'll give up maybe i'll give up and uh, and then you you know talk it through and you go no (laughs) i don't go well (laughs) and it's not there's no there's no kind of like point at which you're just comfortably because all, all of this stuff like it could go tomorrow it could go like that yeah. you know and i'm really aware of that and really you know kind of like right so if it did what would you do you'd find something else to do you'd, you know so yeah that's my short answer <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant thank you very much you're very welcome, thank you very much hours, and hours and hours <laughs> philosophical nonsense not philosophical that is what my podcast is all about though (laughs) it is the philosophical things that uh, may or may not be philosophical I made this that's improv